Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how School Status can change your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 72, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Are you a visual learner or auditory learner? New research suggests you should never place yourself or students in one category. And just how much money have teachers crowdfunded for school supplies? We'll tell you. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we speak with a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, Jennifer Saravallo is back with her new book, and she's going to help us take the fuzziness out of reading comprehension. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I'm great. Excellent. Glad to hear it. You know what I uh, saw this week? I saw your favorite rapper doing something really funny. Chance. Chance. Yeah, <laughs> Chance. So, so you know, um, he went undercover with Lyft. You know, like Lyft's like yes. Uber for anyone who doesn't know, but it's basically the same thing. And um, he's doing it all in part of like raising money for his new Chance Fund that we've talked about on this show to help schools in Chicago. Um, but just uh, listen to a little bit of this. Chance the Rapper. Today we're here with Chicago Public Schools and the Social Works Charity, and this is Undercover Lift. What's your name? Desi. Desi, I'm John. Nice, nice to meet, meet you. you. John, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Chris. Ashanti. Miss Ashanti. Mm-hmm. I am John. I will be your driver today. I always had a dream getting into music or poetry or something like that. I never performed in front of anybody before. Is it cool if I, you know, for you real quick? Yeah, do it, do it. All right. My name is John. I'm from Chicago. Yo, it's just, uh, 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 Oh, my gosh. He's trying to be yes. bad. I'm excited. What kind of music do you listen to? You, you, don't, you don't listen to hip-hop, do you? Yeah, definitely. Why? <laughs> On my battle. Oh. <laughs> well, I know when I start saying Tupac, you're like, well. Tupac, no, that's the classic right there. <laughs> I like Kanye, Chance the Rapper. Mm-hmm. I love Chance the Rapper, you know. Kanye, yeah. Chance. Chancellor Albert. Yes. Oh, Kendrick, also one of my favorites, yeah. obviously. Kendrick is really good. Is he better than Chance, though? That's the real question. It's cool, though, like, his mom is supportive, and he married the love of his life. I bet Chance has a good mom. He's probably getting married, too. Yeah, I think Chance either is engaged or, like, maybe been with the same. I don't know. I've seen photos. I'm not a super fan, but I know he's got a good-looking woman. Think you about to get married to him? You like Chance? You know, I was just about to say him. Yeah, I was just at his, uh, he did a show over at North Lily Island for uh, Special Olympics. I would definitely go see him live. Yeah. I got a chance. Chance. Get it? Yeah. He's still the dad yet. I got you. And yeah, he'll eventually reveal it. Have you ever met Chance the Rapper? No. Could meet him. I just met <laughs> the rapper. I'm kind of fucked up right now. All right, I got to turn it down because I'll have to pay for that song. But uh, <laughs> what would you do if you found out you were sitting next to somebody that big for 15 minutes? 
that I didn't know I, that yeah, I didn't yeah. know I was I mean, like, by. I mean, that yeah. I let's would, just say it was chance. You like chance, like. I feel like I would have known him though. Like do you? I would, I do. Yeah, these people just like his his songs that they hear, but they don't ever go. I mean, take the time. Did to you get look to see what up. he looks like? I know you can't see from where you're sitting. Do you want to come like around and? Oh, like he's in disguise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. Hang on, hang on. Take a look. All right. That so, is so a now, pretty good disguise. Now that you've got a chance to look at him, yeah. Do you think you'd recognize him? I think I. I mean, I don't know. If I was in Chicago. I mean, you better believe when I went to Chicago, I was like, you were keeping an eye looking out. out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was keeping an eye out right. for him the whole time. But, but yeah, I mean, I would freak out. Um, it's cool though. It's good to see them do this type of stuff, and you know, also again goes to towards his uh, charity that that helps schools um, in the Chicago area. Let's go ahead and jump into the uh, teachers' lounge. What do you know? Well, this is pretty mind blowing. So you know how you've grown up your entire life knowing what your learning style is or, you know, you were told, what type of learner do you think you are, Nick? Right, right. I would say (laughs) audio, like anything I hear. um, Auditory? Auditory. And yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an audio learner. I'm an audio learner. But I I like to listen to things. And then also, like, once once I get my hands on, you know, that's there's good learning there. Okay. And so I've always thought I was a visual learner. Um, but you mean like reading when you say visual or like seeing somebody do something, seeing, yeah. Like, so, um, it's really interesting. This, this new research rolling out says none of that matters. It's all a bunch of hocus pocus. Really? (laughs) That's what they, they did all these tests. You really should put the link to the article in our show I've been doing good about that. I've been putting all the links to the the stories we talked about. Because you, you guys out there should go and read this. It's a quick little read, but it's just, it's almost like. Um, I can't remember the name of the TV show, but like, it's like um, when Jay Leno used to do jaywalking yeah, and yeah. stuff. So that's what I was visualizing when I was reading the thing. It's like they would have these people learn this new material or whatever. And so the people were trying to learn it in the way that they felt like was their learning style, you know? Audio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then, but then they were, of course, had them you know, brain probed and all this stuff and things were lighting up, like say that when they looked at something visual, the visual part of their brain was lighting up. But when they heard something, it wasn't. then the the auditory part was lighting up. Like okay. they are learning both ways. That's okay. basically what ended up happening. But then of course, when it was over, they were like, you know, I felt like I knew this better. I felt like I did this better. Or I know this more because of this. And so... It's really interesting because they said even when the people were faced with the results of, but do you understand that it didn't enhance in any way right. for you to, if you're a visual learner, for you to see these things, it did not enhance you in any way, and nor were you left impaired because you only heard uh, you know, auditory instead of being able to have resource to visual. There's no... There's no benefit. And they didn't, they didn't believe it. They they wouldn't take they wouldn't take the bait, well, and they okay, basically were like, no. And so then they did more exercises and more exercises, and then they said that people started kind of forcing really their you know their style. Right. Um, anyway, I just thought it's really interesting. But the good news for educators is, you know, yeah, it's great for us to try to meet kids' needs in different ways based right. on you know the type. You know, of course, we all love. Parent conference where the parent tells us, you know, you're, you know, you you're doing more direct instruction, and what my child needs is, you know, something a little more hands on, you know. So those are always fun conversations. But the truth is, it 
you're going to reach people. You should be dynamic. Absolutely. Shake it up. Right. Have different types of lessons. But the silver lining is don't, as a person, say, well, I struggle in that because yeah, you can I'm almost an auditor- hurt. It's right. a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, yeah, you're failure. using your own little crutch there. Right. And so they're saying, let it go because, yeah. nope, there's like all this research. I will say that when I actually get my hands on something and do it, I'm going to learn better. And I don't know what type of learning you call that and if that was factored into your study or not. But like when your dad shows you how to change a tire, I guess you don't retain it if you just watch them. But you're going to retain it if you have to get down there and change it yourself. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I mean, you always are going to learn steps better by doing them, you know. But you're going to make mistakes when you're doing it. You're going to make mistakes. And then, you know, those will be, you won't make that mistake again, you know, if you had to suffer the consequences by doing it. But um, so, but this is more audio and visual is kind of what we're focused. No, on. I mean kinesthetic is in there too. Okay. So, but um, I think they they mostly were just talking about auditory and visual. But yes, I think the and this is for just like you know I guess basic new knowledge on a given topic. Right. Um. So I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I do feel like I'm more of a visual person. But, you know, and I think back, I was actually just talking to my son about this um, last night about how I wouldn't have made it through college history course without making flashcards. And I remember my flashcard deck that I made being so thick. And he was like, well, mom, there's an app for that now. You know, it's just Quizlet and that's what we use. And so um, I was like, yeah, but you're not writing it out. You need to write it out. You have to do it. So I was sitting there telling him all this. I was like, that helps you learn. And he was like, no, actually Quizlet, you know, will take that same information and it'll put it together in all these different ways and it'll make it a matching thing and it'll make so, a sorting. I mean, after and reading like, his research, would you say he's right? I he's guess? right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is right. And, but even what Quizlet is doing, not to pitch them too much, but what they're doing is they're presenting information in various ways. Right. Like they're making them sort it, they're making them match, you know, they're presenting it in all different ways just to help, help it stick. What was that called again? Quizlet. Nice plug. Quizlet. Quizlet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, might need to. And what's cool about Quizlet is you can actually pull up a topic. Like you can say, you know, right now I'm in the course, you know, American history and there will be all these decks that are made to help you study i um switching gears i read an interesting article in u.s news and world reports about um crowdfunding classrooms Mm -hmm. we're talking you know donors choose and pledge sense um and we've actually talked about a lot of these different groups on the show if anybody's interested and you want to get go back and listen to our interview we had somebody from DonorsChoose.org on. That was episode 23. And then PledgeSense was episode 62. But how much money do you think in 2017, since that's a complete year, do you think was raised through crowdfunding for classroom supplies? Oh, gosh. I don't know. How could I even guess? You just guess. I bet it's a heartwarming amount. I'm going to have to cut all this dead silence out. (laughs) I'm trying to make a really good guess. I hate it when people ask me to guess. A billion. A billion? (laughs) It's a horrible guess. (laughs) A million. It was $200 million. $200 million. $200 million. And so, but here's what I really found interesting. The federal government tax cut of $250 that they they do, that tax deduction every year. Do you know what that costs taxpayers? No. $210 million. 
It's almost it's almost the same number, really, mm-hmm. when you look at it. And I really don't know what that means, but it just, it just goes to show you that, like, there is a need for more of this in terms of sure classroom is. supplies. And, um, you know, you got to give kudos to what those companies are doing. Um, and, and I think it was pledged since that I don't really think they're making money off the transaction. They make money in other ways on their website and through, like, sponsorships and stuff. Um, but uh, really good programs out there, and hopefully everybody's checking those out. For me, out of pocket in a year, I, I probably spend just short of a thousand. But I teach seven hundred kids. The the average spending is four hundred and seventy nine dollars a year, but seven percent reported spending over a thousand dollars. So um, unreal amount of money that um, teachers are having to go into their own pocket. Donors choose since two thousand, um, and they are much larger in scale, have um, helped raise $745 million since 2000. But it's growing faster and faster every year. And I imagine that 2018 will be a bigger year. And I think it was in 2018 that it was a company came along and funded everybody's project at once. Yes, it was I like, remember that. Yeah, it was like one of those Bitcoin yeah, it was like, type companies. It wasn't you Bitcoin. Get a, yeah, it was like, you get a smart board. You get a... <laughs> basically, yeah. Really? Which is really cool stuff. Um, We've got a um, phenomenal interview in this show. Uh, This is somebody who we had on a while back. Do you remember Jennifer Saravallo? Yes, I'm a fan. Her book, apparently a lot of people are a fan because, like, she's got this huge Twitter following. Her books are everywhere um, because they're not really just, like, books in terms of a story. There's a story in there, but they're, like, charts and graphs, and they're, like, teacher resources, Mm -hmm. her books. Um, Well, she has a new book out, and it's all about helping – the child comprehend what they're reading and how you know they're comprehending what they're reading. Oh, and that's tough. Yeah, it is tough. It's, it's fuzzy. And yeah. um, I got sent an advanced copy of the book and I started going through it to prepare for the show. And um, we're actually going to give away a copy of the book. And I'm sorry, you just rolled your eyes because you were like, where's my copy? <laughs> I know, it's so gonna, annoying. But we're going to give away a copy. Um, stay tuned to uh, our Twitter account for that. We'll do that when the show's coming out. Um, but anyhow, so I got the copy and I started going through it, and I didn't want to give it up, like because I started because picking, you're a teacher, because no, you're a huge fan, because you—that's <laughs> just it. I'm not an educator, exactly. but I have a three-year-old, and I started going, "Well, wow, I can flip to this page here and know the questions I need to ask mm-hmm. when she's just starting to get into reading, and you know, first grade to say, you know, well, tell me this, tell me that, things that I just I wouldn't have otherwise known." So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a really great resource, and you're definitely going to want to hear this interview. Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segment is the best-selling author of the Reading Strategies book and the Writing Strategies book. Jennifer Saravallo recently released her latest book, which is titled Understanding Text and Readers, Responsive Comprehension Instruction with Leveled Text. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be back with you. And for those that don't know, you were a guest back on episode 39, where we, we took a, a dive into uh, the writing strategies book. And, and in fact, that's been one of our most uh, listened to episodes on the Class Dismissed podcast. Um, and I think while we were doing that interview, you must have been working on understanding text and readers, right? I probably was. Yes, I probably I, I tend to juggle a couple of projects at a time. So it's probably true that and the other thing is, um, people don't realize this, but when you're finished with a book, 
it's not really ready to be out in your hands. You have There's a whole production process and the designers design the pages and then the printer has to print it and then it ships. So it's very likely that it was uh, writing was in production while I started my next project. I right. Didn't do that. And we talked about this in the last interview. You have a, an excellent uh, publisher because they let you publish your books. Um, for those that can't see this book, it's, it's in color. There's charts. This isn't just like a little black and white book. It's very extensive. Heinemann is wonderful. That's my publisher. And um, the designer, Suzanne Heisler, who does the design, interior design and cover design, actually, um, for my books, is an incredible person to work with. She's just got such vision and such understanding of the content. And I think that she really uses design and color in a way that makes it easier for a reader to navigate a book and to really understand its content. So I'm, yes, I'm very, very fortunate. I know that. (laughs) I know there's a lot of good buzz about the book. I actually stumbled across its release organically. I I was on my Facebook feed. I had a a classmate that I went to high school with, uh, really hadn't talked to in probably over a decade. And she posted a picture of your book, Understanding Text and Readers. And she's like, so excited to read this. And I thought, well, I've interviewed her before. And that's awesome that, you know, this this has traction amongst the education community. That has to make you feel good. Oh, it absolutely does. And did you say high school? Yeah, it was a, a high school classmate who's now a teacher. Oh, high school classmate. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant she taught high school. What does she teach? Um, you know, I'd actually have to jump over to her Facebook page. So you put me on oh, the okay. spot. I don't know exactly what she teaches, okay, but okay. but I do know she was one of the smartest people in my grade. So uh, it's great to hear that she's a teacher and she's you know and taking in your stuff and then then putting it back out there with her students. That's awesome. Um, Thank so, you for sharing that. Yeah, sure. And um, so. As you wrote this book and and you get it out there, what do you hope educators take away from reading your new book? Well, there's a number of different layers to the book. Um, Overall, it's a book about comprehension and trying to help teachers to make sense of something that is sometimes very hard to make sense of. Comprehension, you know, there's different uh, viewpoints out there on what it means to even understand from, you know, a Rosenblatt perspective where comprehension is a construction by the reader of uh, melding the reader's prior knowledge and experience together with the text. And um, what that means is that different people approaching the same text will have different comprehension because they're coming to it with different backgrounds. Um, And then there's people out there saying, no, that, you know, what we should be teaching kids to do is to really study the text or as a text that's created by an author to try to figure out what the author said and to not bring yourself to the text. Um, and then we have, you know, the proficient reader research. And then we have um, different uh, educational theorists who talk about comprehension in different ways. And I think sometimes the classroom teacher um, is left thinking, what am I really looking for? What, what, does, what does comprehension look like? What does it look like when a kid really gets it? Um, and so what I wanted to do in this book, in part, was to offer teachers um, historical background and research and theory. Um, but I, I get through that part pretty quickly and I move to kind of the meat of the matter, which is um, the way that I make sense of comprehension. I organize comprehension along these different goals that I first introduced in the Reading Strategies book. So for fiction, it's plot and setting, character, vocabulary, and figurative language, and themes and ideas. And for nonfiction, main idea, key details, vocabulary and text features. And then within those goals are skills. And then within those skills are progressions that are laid on top of levels. So what I'm trying to argue in the book is that 
what getting it looks like for a kid who's reading a book like Frog and Toad is going to be different than what getting it looks like for a kid who's reading because of Winn-Dixie. And if we can, as teachers, know some things about text levels and the kinds of things to expect of those levels, um, then we can know some things about what to expect of reader response. I also start off the, the book with a story about a student who um, was sort of slipping through the cracks because the assessments that were being used to learn about her comprehension weren't really matching what she was doing every day. She was being assessed in short texts and then reading long long books, and her teachers were sort of at a loss for where to go. Let's drill down on that story you open up with. It's it's a student that you come across um, in the book. She's named Vanessa. Um, you were working in the Bronx District, um, and you were not the student's teacher. I guess you were there on professional development. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I was, I was a, a staff developer working and, with the teachers there. Yeah, And you started working with her, and, and you knew kind of her story. She had been held back a few times, um, and she wasn't doing well on, I guess, the reading test for that area. Is that correct? Yeah, she she hadn't passed the state test, which is essentially a comprehension test. And yet the assessments that her teachers were using were supposed to be telling the teacher whether she was able to comprehend at certain levels of text. So it was sort of this mismatch between her the measure of comprehension on a grade level comprehension test and the measure of comprehension on a different grade level comprehension test. And so I guess your hypothesis was before you really even went deep into this was, you know, she, she can read these short excerpts, but when we give her a whole book, she's having trouble comprehending, right? Yes. Yeah. And what we discovered was after asking her to read a whole book and uh, we put these sticky notes inside the book. So along the way, she would have to stop and respond in writing to show what she was making sense of um, questions about characters and the main events in the plot and what figurative language meant and what big ideas she was getting from the themes and um, in the text. And it turned out to be that it was several grade levels, many reading levels and several grade levels difference between her whole book comprehension and her short text comprehension. And the skills specifically that we noticed she needed help with were ones that had to do with sequencing, um, synthesizing or putting events together, and also her stamina. And with those pieces in mind, it started to make sense of why she was having a hard time on the state test, which which challenged her stamina in a way that these um, other running record assessments didn't. Um, it was independent reading, quiet reading by yourself, usually over the course of an hour and a half or two hours. The texts were longer than what she was being asked to read. So, yeah, I, I feel like the the um, the different assessment helped us to see different variables. And those different variables helped us to pinpoint specific skills and strategies to work on with her that really helped make a difference. And so you you sent out, I guess, assessments in a larger scale, right, to kind of see, is this just an issue with Vanessa or is this everywhere? Yeah, we started by um, repeating it at that school. So we had other kids in third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade. And we really were focused on kids reading between levels J and W. J was the first level where kids were being uh, asked to read excerpts of whole text rather than whole texts for the comprehension assessment. So level J, if you're not familiar, um, the Fountas and Pinnell leveling system is an alphabetic leveling system, which goes from A to Z. Level J correlates to... Um, Level, uh, text that you might know, like the Little Bear series or the Poppleton series, um, all the way up to level W, which is um, um, like a sixth grade level chapter book, like Freak the Mighty, for example, or uh, Catherine Applegate's Home of the Brave. So 
we really focused on those levels where it seemed like a deeper comprehension analysis was going to help teachers to guide their teaching and also where kids uh, were were reading whole chapter books every day in class. And therefore, we thought we should have an assessment of, of what that looks like, whether they're actually able to read and understand those level texts. So we repeated the assessment at that school for any kids that, who were you know, between those levels, reading between levels J and W. And we found on average, Vanessa was sort of an extreme outlier. Her, her short text assessment um, placed her as being able to comprehend level R text, the whole book assessment level M text. So that's quite a difference. Most kids in the class in the school were more like a two level discrepancy with the short text assessment showing that they could comprehend a couple of levels higher than what they could comprehend in a whole book. And then I did a year long pilot study where I sent out books across the whole country. And I tried to pick very different locations with very different populations. So one of the one of the districts that piloted it was Great Neck, Long Island, which is a, a very wealthy uh, district. And then we did work in uh, Southern California with kids who mostly spoke English as a second language. We did uh, a school in Utah. I mean, it was like kind of everywhere, right? right? So schools that had a more of like a guided reading approach to literacy, schools that had more of a textbook approach, schools that did re- you know independent reading and reading workshop. And so what we found on average was that kids were uh, a couple of the kind of remarkable findings that yes, a couple levels lower in the chapter books seem to be a, a right fit than um, than what they were, you know, play, where they were placing on shorter text assessments. And then also we found, I asked the kids at the end of the assessment, how do you think you did? Was this book just right for you? And overwhelmingly kids would say the book was just right because I knew the words. We saw that over and over and over again. The kids, yeah, the book was just right. There weren't any words I didn't know, or it wasn't hard for me to read the words. And I started to realize that probably for a lot of kids, even the idea of what it means to read a book and really being able to read the book is, can I read the words or not? And what would it look like to sort of unpack for kids what comprehension looks like mm-hmm. and explain to them, you know, if you're in a book like this, this, this book, the author crafted really complicated characters who have flaws and who have strengths and who change across the course of the novel. And so if you're really understanding this book, you would understand these characters like people who have their traits and bad traits and who change. Let's see if we're we're looking at that. Let's see if we're paying attention to that. And how, um, you know, I, I'm, the, I'm maybe this is also just my own bias, but I'm the kind of person where I, I don't find it fun to read something. I'm only kind of getting. I really want to understand right. it. Yeah. I read slow enough that I can understand it. I reread if I don't get it. Um, and so I wanted to make sure kids had that experience too, that they really feel what it feels like to really understand. And, you know, Vanessa was uh, an example of, a student who just really didn't know what she didn't know. Uh, she came to me at the end of the year and she goes, Hey, Miss Jenna, I, I get what you mean now by make a movie in your mind. Like you, I can actually see it now. It's, I could see it in my mind like a movie. Yeah. And, and that, that's a good my tip, heart, right? right? It broke my heart that she didn't know that until this point. And, you know, um, so anyway, yeah. So that's kind of, uh, kind of what we found. And, uh, kind of what, one of the things I hope that this book does is helps open teachers eyes to, um, really what it can look like when kids are understanding at these various levels of text. And then maybe they'll use these student samples in the book with kids so that, to show kids what, what it could look like or the kinds of, gives them tips of the kinds of things to be looking for in the books that they're reading. Now, now Vanessa's story does have a happy ending. Um, so um, those who grab the book can kind of see how that all plays out. But um, one thing you do in this book that 
would really grab me as an educator is the fact that you say that this book can help an educator identify if a student is, you put in quotes, getting it, understanding, comprehending the book, um, even if the educator is not familiar with the book that the student is reading. And so I got to ask you, how can you do that? Yeah, I think one of the things um, that happens sometimes with comprehension assessment is that um, the the book that the students are reading is is a book that the teacher has read him or herself, and the teacher sometimes asks questions looking for a specific answer. But one of the things I try to argue in the book is that there's not necessarily a one right answer to any of these comprehension questions, but rather there are a variety of of, of right answers that follow a certain type. So uh, the, the example I gave you earlier, with the, if we know that the character in a book is complicated, then what we're looking for to the question, tell me about your character, is a student who's able to name positive and negative traits. And the traits that are most salient for them, one reader might see different traits than another based on your own experiences, based on people you know in your life, based on your vocabulary, um, and that more than one answer could be correct. And so what I'm trying to do in the book is to offer teachers um, sort of qualities of response so that they can look at a student's response through that lens and identify if they're if they could if they need more support. I'll give you another example. Um, if we know, for example, that a, a plot in a level R text is likely to have flashback, then if a child's reading a level R text and we ask them to retell, if they're only telling us uh, in sequence, we can know that they might be missing something and, in the text. You, you kind of structure the book as a story, but you also do a lot of charts and kind of quick, like a teacher can flip open to a certain section of this book and take away from some of the charts that you have. And if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, and I'm looking at the book, like you were talking about the, um, the what was the term you put on the uh, actual levels with the uh, using the alphabet, level J and so forth? That's the Fountas and Pinnell text level gradient. That's the official term of that leveling system. And there's a lot of leveling systems out there, but that's the one I like the best. So, so that's so what you, I use. You break that out basically J all the way through. I don't know if you go down to W or not, but you break that out and then you'll say, you know, Jay, here's some example books. This is kind of the categories uh, that the students will be reading. But you tell the teachers in very short and in a few words what to look for this, that the students have accomplished, correct? Exactly. And I do that for, I'm giving a lot of fiction examples, but I also have it for nonfiction. So in, in nonfiction texts, I think we need to be looking not just at short passage nonfiction, like articles, but also at whole books. As a as an author of whole book nonfiction myself, I will tell you, I have ideas that I'm hoping to get across across the whole book. And that also you can dip in and find facts, but I, I hope that people read the whole thing. Um, but it's a different task, I think, to read a whole continuous nonfiction book that has multiple sections or chapters and to read um, uh, you know, a, a short article. Uh, there's, there's sort of different mind work. So uh, same thing with the fiction. I offer a progression of skills for understanding main idea, a progression of skills for identifying key details and being able to compare and contrast information. And the look fors change as the text levels and the complexity within those levels change. So at the point when a nonfiction book is likely to have multiple main ideas or complexity with the ideas, I call that out for teachers so that they know to look for that in kids' response too. And it looks like you show students work as well, like their actual handwritten work in the book. And then you kind of do a breakdown of what the student's writing. Why is it important for you to show it in that form? 
You know, I think that there's a lot of um, bulleted lists of expectations for kids. Like, I, I just think about a lot of the standards documents I've seen, whether it's the Common Core standards or the the Texas uh, Techs, I think you say Teeks standards. Right? Different states have their own versions now of, of of standards. And there's a lot of, you know, by the end of the year, students must be able to bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And there's never examples of what that looks like. And so one of the things I wanted to be able to do in this book was to show, yes, an actual kid handwriting. This is a real kid wrote this. Um, here is what it looks like. Um, and here's how it sounds. And then with call outs from me to notice, you know, notice that she's using three character traits or notice that he's talking about um, in explaining the vocabulary word, not just giving a definition, but he's giving an explanation because he's pulling information from the text features and the photograph to give more information. So I, I really wanted to not just say it and tell it, but I wanted to show it too. It, you kind of, you know, open up the book with the, the, the thought that comprehension is fluid and text level reading isn't a perfect science. And why is it important to get that out up front? Well, yeah, so there's this... Um, this two-page spread that you might have come upon, which is a sort of historical highlights of leveling in, a, in, in the United States. And I, I pr mm -hmm. provided that in there because one of the things that's happened um, with good intentions of trying to help kids be in books that they could be successful with and read well is that leveling has become um, very common. It's, it's hard to even find a school that doesn't use some form of leveling. Some, some schools use Lexile, some schools use qualitative leveling system like the Fountas and Pinnell levels that I, that I prefer. Um, and one of the things that's happened with the um, consistent use of leveling and leveled text in schools is that people have become very uh, focused and kind of rigid with the use of levels. So uh, for example, they might administer one assessment that's on a leveled text. And from that one assessment, um, you know, tell a student, you can only read this level text, or this is your level. And what I'm trying to do in the beginning of the book is to show that, yes, it's more fluid than that with an example from Vanessa, but lots of other examples where a student who is highly motivated might be able to read a text that's much harder, or a student who um, doesn't have a lot of prior knowledge about a particular topic, might need an easier nonfiction text than the level that they typically read. Or when it's a long text, it's a different story than a short text. So um, what I'm trying to do is to show people that, yes, levels can be a guide. They can help us to know look-fors. They can help us to predict some things about texts that maybe we haven't even read oursel ourselves. But but using them in the rigid way where we're, we're fixing kids to just one level at one time is really a misunderstanding of how texts are leveled. And it's a misunderstanding of how a reader interacts with the text. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the goal for the book for a teacher may be, you know, to how to identify comprehension and, and some of the tricks and things we've talked about. But really, the ultimate goal for the book is probably to to make a student a lifelong reader to not discourage them. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, sure. That's important. Yeah. I probably should have said that first. But I think, yes, all of it, like I said, if you are not comprehending, then what fun is reading? And I think a lot of disengagement with reading is rooted in a lack of understanding. Right. Um, so if kids are not understanding, and if we can make it easier for them to understand, make it clearer what understanding looks like, give them strategies to understand, absolutely. <laughs> Reading becomes more joyful, kids become more engaged, kids choose to do it even when they're not told to do it, and they become lifelong readers because of that. I was reading through some reviews on Amazon and one jumped out at me um, that somebody wrote about your book and they said, comprehension can feel like such an elusive slippery goal 
Jennifer Saravala's new book erases all the fuzziness. What's even more important is that now I can erase the fuzziness for students too. Um, so oh, I, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that I think that really kind of you know summarizes what what you're going for here. So, um, you know, keep up the great work. It, it's a really um, fascinating book. And I think before we even started recording, I was asking you, like, do you put this together by yourself? Because there is you, you back up a lot of your your research, or a lot of what you write with research. And you also have so many charts and examples. Uh, so uh, but you were saying you do this all on your own, right? Yeah, I mean, I have a wonderful team at Heinemann. I've got an editor who checks over my work, and I've got the designers that I talked about, and there's a marketing team. So I, I definitely have help along the way of, of the process of making a book, but all the writing I do myself. And I'm very fortunate to be able to focus on reading and writing. My, my you know, I do literacy all day. I read about it. I read blogs. I read research. I read articles. I attend conferences. And so I'm just constantly immersed in it. So, um, so I guess that makes the writing about it a little bit easier. Again, the uh, title is Understanding Text and Readers. Um, you are going to allow me to give away a copy of the book. So um, if you're interested or you want to try to win this copy, um, all you have to do is follow the Classismiss Podcast Twitter account. Look for us to tweet about, you know, saying, hey, retweet this tweet and you'll be entered in a chance to, to win the book. So we appreciate uh, that. Oh, you're very welcome. Happy to get the book in more readers' hands. (laughs) Right. Thank you again, Jennifer. We really appreciate your time. And if anybody wants to track you you down, what's a good place? I know you've got a huge following on Twitter. Is that kind of like where you like to hang out? So, yeah, I'm on Twitter at at jsaravalo. I've got a website, jenniferseravalo.com. Heinemann's actually started a Jennifer Saravalo site that's a little bit separate from the other pages, and that's at heinemann.com slash saravalo. All these, you have to know how to spell my last name, which you could probably find even with mistakes on Google. Um, and uh, yeah, I need to get on Instagram. I'm being told by younger teachers, um, but I'm not I'm not there yet. And there's also a Facebook group, the Reading and Writing Strategies Facebook group that has something like 54,000 members now of amazing educators who share. And I pop in there a lot and I answer questions. And um, this summer, this past summer, I did a writing strategies uh, camp, summer camp. So I came on live every day for 25 days and taught strategies for my writing strategies book. So that's all archived there too. So it's a great resource. Well, thanks so much again for your time and best of luck. Thank you so much for interviewing me. It was great talking to you as always. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you. So if you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button. And we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter. Just search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortega. Go, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.